Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hi, I'm Alexis McKittrick, the president of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. On today's episode, I'm excited to welcome Kate Maxwell. Kate is the Chief Technology Officer for Defense and Intelligence in Microsoft's worldwide public sector. And she's also one of the keynote speakers at our upcoming WE23 conference, October 26th through 28th in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast and hear about your story as a woman in tech. Oh, thank you, Alexis. I'm delighted to be here. I also can't wait for the conference this year. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And we will definitely talk more about that conference as we uh, as we go through here. Very excited for your keynote. So on Diverse, we like to start at the beginning, right? Begin at the beginning. <laughs> so I'd love to know what initially sparked your interest in technology and engineering? And talk to me a bit about how did that interest evolve over time? Yeah, you bet. So I will tell you, I have been interested in STEM, I think, my whole life. I grew up in, in farm country, so right in the heart of like Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, Amish country. And initially, when I was a kid, my interest was in veterinary science. I wanted to grow up and, and be a veterinarian. So STEM was there, you know, right from the beginning. But as I entered my teenage years, I started to get more interested in computing and engineering. And I think the reason for that is, I, I'll just admit it, I'm a geriatric millennial. I grew up at the dawn of like the public internet, you know, playing a lot of Oregon Trail. I had a GeoCities website where I taught myself HTML. And I, was, I also grew up being surrounded by technology, but kind of from a, a gaming console sense. My dad loved the Atari and the Nintendo. We had a Commodore 64 in the house. So all of this technology was available to me at a pretty young age. And I just kind of explored for fun. I didn't even think about it from a career path perspective. My parents still laughed when I was a kid, like a teenager. I used to walk to the post office every couple of weeks in my hometown. And I would pick up one of those free AOL online CDs, like, you know, trial access to the internet. This is back in the late 90s. And I would just explore out there by myself. And what I found was as I was approaching college, I thought, um, you know, maybe computer science is the way to go for me. And so at the last moment, like a week before I entered my uh, undergraduate program, I switched from pre-vet to computer science and fell in love with it. I mean, every programming assignment for me was fun. Uh, it felt like a puzzle to be solved. You know, I loved coding. I loved the gratification that came from digitally creating something new and also seeing it compile and run for the first time. And so that sparked my interest in computing and ultimately led to a, a software engineering career. So I got recruited by a U.S. defense contractor right out of college, a company called Raytheon. And then I worked for them for 17 years before coming to Microsoft a few years ago. And so I grew up first in software engineering and then in systems engineering. And I have taken on roles of, of various and increasing technical responsibility since then. But looking back, Alexis, I am so grateful that I you know, pursued that degree in computer science, that I really stuck with engineering and technology, despite some challenges along the way. And it has changed my life in a million different ways. And I just love what I do. It's, it's an honor and a privilege to do this every day. 
Thanks so much, Kate. That is incredibly inspiring to hear the story arc of your journey through engineering and computer science and to where you are today. I just want to really quick go back to the beginning of that answer to say I was also a very big Oregon Trail fan. I replaced so many axles on those darn wagons, (laughs) let me tell you, but often made it to the end. So I, again, very key shared experience for <laughs> childhood. It. It. And then I love the the insight, right, that young Kate had in, in that description on the, the two-week AOL trial that then kind of led to your first delving into computer science and the insight into kind of the potential that it held as you went through that journey and how that drove you. Um, That's incredibly inspiring to hear. Um, And thank you so much for sharing so much of that with us. You bet. Thank you. And now um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your your current journey, if you will, or where you are in your journey. Um, This led you to Microsoft. So Microsoft is a household name when it comes to computers and software, but a lot of people may not necessarily associate Microsoft with defense and intelligence sectors. So talk to me about what kind of work that Microsoft specifically does in these areas. Happy to, and I appreciate the question. I I think when we think about what the priority industries are for Microsoft and the different sectors that we serve, defense and intelligence is one of our our priority industries here. Uh, Matter of fact, as a company, we have been supporting the allied defense and intelligence ecosystem for more than 40 years, in fact. So when we think about what that means and who those customers are, It's, of course, the U.S. federal market, including Department of Defense, intelligence community, the Pentagon, of course. It also includes allied nations and military organizations all around the world and the defense industrial base, like the company Raytheon that I come from. So we do a lot of uh, coalition support. So think these are coalitions like the Five Eye community, which for anybody who's unfamiliar, that's the U.S., United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. We also support the AUKUS trilateral. So that's Australia, uh, United Kingdom, and US. And then, of course, the NATO member states and, and allies all over the world. In terms of what we do, I'll just say this. You know, if you look out across the world right now, there is just this incredible pace of change that's happening. And that's true, I think, in technology, but it's also true in terms of the geopolitical landscape. And our defense customers face a ton of threats that are moving at an extraordinary speed. So when we think about what modern defense forces need to help shore up you know, global and, and national security, digital transformation is a big part of that. So my team and what I do is we really try and serve as a commercial technology partner operating alongside allied nations and defense industrial base in their day-to-day missions and activities. We help them digitally transform. We inspire them to use more commercial technologies like the cloud, like artificial intelligence, like things like that. And we also help them figure out how to sometimes amend their cultures so that they can innovate better and faster and stay ahead of that threat landscape that I mentioned. So at Microsoft, defense and intelligence is a priority industry for us. And as a company, we have made a decision to leverage technology to support democratically elected institutions all around the world. And that is something that I'm really proud of. And again, I serve as the chief technology officer for this industry at Microsoft. It's a worldwide job. My team is all over the world. And I've been here for about three years now, and it's just a fantastic company and an amazing team. And such an honor to get to work with these uh, defense and intelligence and military organizations every day. That's great. I really appreciate that kind of sharing exactly what 
Microsoft is doing in these spaces. And what struck me as you were you were going through, Kate, is just the the breadth of what's covered, right? The breadth of stakeholders, the breadth of different topics you all cover. You mentioned threats, you mentioned innovation, right? And obviously there's a lot of collaboration that's included in the groups that you mentioned. So it really seems like a, a position in a space that you're, you're, you're going to need to have that flexibility to both kind of dive deep into specific issues as well as work broadly across coalitions. So interesting. Yeah, beautifully said, Alexis. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, and at some point, this job is far more than just the, the technology aspect, right? Which is fascinating. You know, I, I think as an 18-year-old kid studying computer science, I certainly didn't think about where this type of a job could take me. But you suddenly have to be well-versed in, you know, the geopolitical landscape, understanding and navigating cultural differences, especially in a global job, not to mention all of the, the technology aspects of what we do and why we do it. So it's a fascinating place and, you know, position in which to work and industry in which to work. And I think it's it's extra fascinating to be doing it at this particular moment in history, too, where there's a lot of things happening around the world. So, yeah, well stated. And I appreciate that observation. Well, well, thanks. And I'd love to take this opportunity to dive into one specific topic <laughs> that's going on at this moment in time in the world, and that's artificial intelligence or, or AI. Hmm. AI has been a hot topic in the news lately, uh, and I'd love to hear what you're seeing in the industry when it comes to AI, and maybe specifically what challenges or opportunities our listeners should be aware of on the topic. Yeah, you bet. Boy, what a wild time to be working in in technology. And and I think AI and especially, you know, generative artificial intelligence, it's all the rage right now. You know, you noted it. We're seeing it in the press every day. And and rightly so. I think the thing that I share with customers a lot is when you work in tech, there are lots of hype cycles that spin up and spin out about various things. And, And sometimes they're warranted and sometimes they're not. This is the real deal. This moment in generative AI is the real deal. This has been decades in the making to get to this point, but just some truly amazing things happening. And so here at Microsoft, what we're doing is we work with our customers across all sectors, but included, you know, defense and intelligence is included in that, to help them figure out how they can leverage artificial intelligence to improve their operations, right? And experience things like enterprise gains, efficiency gains, you know, productivity gains and the like. So massive, massive improvements, you know, happening right now, certainly in the space from a technology perspective. Um, And we're already seeing a lot of customer success stories that are kind of eye-watering in terms of the statistics. I'll share one with you. This is not defense and intelligence, but it's, it's a company that's pretty well known, CarMax, right? They have recently shared with us that they deployed the Azure OpenAI service on top of their customer review database. So tons of data. And they came back to us after playing with this for a couple of months, and and they shared that they can now do in a matter of days with generative AI what would have previously taken a single CarMax employee 11 years to accomplish. I mean, it's just stunning and eye-watering productivity gains that that we're seeing. And, And so what I would say to people out there is, you know, be thinking about what this capability might mean for your organization, how you might use it at work. And in your personal life, I will tell you, for me, I use it in my day-to-day activities. You know, it's a creativity aid. So if I have a white paper to write or let's say a keynote to write, you know, like for Society of Women Engineers, it's really great for helping to, to augment and frame your creativity, especially as you're getting started uh, and can save you a bunch of time is what I've found. 
I also love it for things like, you know, summarizing a meeting, uh, summarizing lengthy reports or even the contents of my inbox and really helping to automate and reduce time and friction on some of the tasks that none of us really like to do, but that we know we need to do, right? So it's fantastic for that. Alexis, you ask about the challenges, right? And you're right to note that the incredible things are happening in this space right now. It is certainly not without its challenges. When we think about artificial intelligence and especially generative AI, this is game changing and world changing capabilities. And we have to be really thoughtful and responsible in terms of how they're developed, how they're tested, how they're deployed and how they're used. And, and that to me is certainly we as the technology industry bear a great responsibility for that. But I think anybody who's interacting with this technology bears that same responsibility on their end as well. So what we're doing, what my team is doing is we're having conversations with customers all over the world. So, and what we're doing is we're trying to inspire and empower them to go leverage this artificial intelligence and experience these, these productivity gains, like I mentioned, but at the same time, we're also, you know, providing guidance and advice and even some cautionary tales so that they can think about how they'll go, they'll do that while simultaneously safeguarding their businesses, protecting their data, protecting their employees and the privacy of their employees. And at the end of the day, staying true to their values, right? And those are difficult conversations sometimes, but I really believe that they're essential ones. So for anybody out there who's working with generative AI or thinking about what it might mean for you or your organization, be thinking about you know, those hard questions. How are you going to use this uh, while also using it and testing it and deploying it safely and responsibly? And, and that's something that we're here to help with. You don't have to do that alone. Thanks so much for sharing all of those insights, Kate, and especially for that challenge to the audience at the end. I think the the best interviews and podcasts are when we can really kind of give folks something to think about and something to to go back and apply in their in their real life. And so I so appreciate you doing that. Um, and for me, I really liked your perspective on how generative AI can be used as a strategic tool. That's something that I personally hadn't really thought about before. And so I'm going to take that action to go back and start applying that um, as, I, as I look to do strategies in my SWE and, and work life. Awesome. I, lo I look forward. Maybe we can reconnect, Alexis. I'd look forward to hearing how you're going to use it and how it works out. We might be able to see each other at the We23 conference, Perfect. Kate. So <laughs> we're going to talk about it. All right. I, I, I foresee a, a future discussion and a follow-up there. <laughs> so one thing that I, I really enjoy about uh, this three podcast, the diverse podcast, um, is that uh, I get to work in talking about the accolades of some of the folks who, who we, we interview. And Kate, I think the one that I, I really want to make sure the audience has, has heard about and I highlight is that you've been and recognized as one of the top 100 women in tech just, just this year. And I will go even further and say you were number one on the list of the top 100 women in tech. And so one, it's an honor to get a chance to talk to you. And two, I'm just so excited for the opportunity to have you speak to um, all of our SWE members at the WE23 conference as the number one of the top 100 women in tech. And as we know, statistically, the tech sector is a male-dominated field. Over the course of your career, talk to me about what challenges you face as a woman in tech and maybe a bit about how you overcame them. 
Yeah, I appreciate that question. And I think for anybody who's working in a field where maybe you don't look like the majority, there are experience, uh, challenges that you experience along the way. I think for me, you know, I have, there have been times in my career when I have felt, I have felt different and I have been acutely aware that I might not look like the other folks, you know, that are on my team or that are in my work environment. And when you are a member of an underrepresented demographic and you're working in a place that maybe wasn't set up to support you or people like you, that's tough. And it's a lonely experience. And, and it's also, you know, an additional burden to carry too, in addition to your day-to-day activities. So I think for me, you know, I first experienced this as an undergrad. I was one of only two women in my entire computer science program. That Boy, that was lonely. And there were moments where I really questioned whether I belonged there just because I didn't look like anybody else around me and, and almost quit, as a matter of fact. I almost changed my major my junior year because of it. Thankfully, I had, I had an advisor who encouraged me to stick with it, and, and I did. But, you know, it's a lonely experience. And, and then, you know, as I, I graduated, started working in the defense ecosystem, which also is largely male in many places, and then also as an engineer, you know, there were many times where I was the only woman in the room or perhaps the only woman on the team. And I took it upon myself to try and, and fit in, it in all the ways, right? And that even at some point extended to like the way that I dressed or the way that I carried myself or the, even the way that I spoke. There is a cognitive burden associated with that when you're trying to fit in and you're also kind of masking who you are so that you can almost like assimilate into the majority. Uh, and, and that was a challenge for me. I even remember like 10 years into my career, I still wouldn't wear high heels at work because I didn't want to look different. And I also didn't want people to hear me coming <laughs> down the hall. Right. That's a challenge. I am way past that now. I'll tell you that right now. But so, so I think for me, one of the challenges was just trying to fit in. And the second challenge was there's, there's bias that you do encounter sometimes, especially being the only of something. I think because I'm a woman working in a male-dominated industry and frequently being the only woman in, in my team, sometimes you walk into a, a room and you see assumptions being made about what your role is, right? And the example I'll give you is even to this day, sometimes I will walk into a room and, and I'm the only woman there and somebody asks me to go fetch them coffee because they assume something about me, right? They assume that I'm the administrative assistant, for example, because of my gender. That is not cool. And those moments used to wear me out. I like I would go home and I would just be so bummed out by them. And I think they also fed my imposter syndrome in some ways. Now, though, you know, I'm 20 years into my career. I am actively owning my space and owning my seat at the table and showing up as authentically me in an attempt to normalize, you know, women in the workplace and women in this industry. Now I see those moments as an opportunity to change perceptions, right? And every time that I can challenge a bias or change somebody's perception on a woman being in that environment, every time I own my space, every time I create an opportunity for somebody else to come behind me uh, and change the environment, that is an opportunity to make a difference. And I'm gladly grabbing at those opportunities. So I, while there have been challenges along the way, there's opportunities on the other side of those challenges. And I am fortunate to have the job that I do and the platform that I do. And I am committed to using that for good and, and hopefully making a difference. For me, that includes being seen, right? It's hard to be what you can't see. I think about that all the time. And so I want to get out there and be seen so other people, and especially young girls and young women, they can see themselves as an engineer. 
They can see themselves as a technology leader and a chief technology officer, and they can see themselves working in the defense community too. And so that is another opportunity to make a difference. Really appreciate you sharing kind of your your personal stories, um, Kate, on that that evolution of of thought and of approach in your career. You know, we have a saying in in my home we use a lot, which is "use your powers for good." Oh yeah, I love that. And I feel like that your comments are resonating so much with me on that "use your powers for good" level. That when you get to a point in your career when you can as you say, use your platform to turn around and address unconscious and unconscious bias when it occurs mm-hmm. to, to lift others up, to help, help others understand, right. That, that it will get better and we can be better, right. As a society and as a group, I definitely file a lot of what you shared under kind of things I wish I could have told my younger self. So true, right? And and I'll tell you too, so many of these things I learned through the power and community of, of SWE, right? It's it's wonderful to be able to show up in this community, this affinity group where other people have experienced these same challenges and also want to use this responsibility that we have to go out and make a difference. So I'll give props to SWE for that. But yeah, I love everything you just said there, Alexis. Yeah, they, I'll also tie it to SWE by saying everything that you've just described is so like at the core of the live without limits theme oh, this yeah. year, because you cannot live without limits without kind of helping reduce the barriers for those around us without kind of finding your own power in a way that, that allows you to excel and right. Brings others along to excel with you. And so again, really appreciate all of those examples, right? Right at the core of what we're working on this year. Thank you. And I love that theme. Love it. Thanks. So as at SWE, perhaps unsurprisingly, after, after that discussion, <laughs> um, just want to emphasize that we are passionate, right, about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And you're an advocate for diversity in STEM. Um, you're on the board for several organizations, including one that connects underprivileged youth with STEM opportunities. And you launched a scholarship for women in computing and engineering. In your opinion, what are the benefits that diversity brings to the tech community and potentially to STEM more broadly? Yeah, I, I love this question. And I'll, I'll send a shout out to one of my favorite nonprofit organizations, TechPoint Foundation for Youth, which does exactly what you just described, right? Connecting underprivileged youth with STEM opportunities. I think for me, you know, I, I strongly believe that as a society, we need more diversity of thought in STEM fields because you know the studies prove it time and time again. Diverse teams bring forward better ideas. They create better solutions. They leverage divergent thinking for problem solving, and they can ensure representation of different viewpoints in the solutions, not to mention you know, help reflect the diversity of the world around us in those solutions. So uh, I, at the end of the day, you know, diverse teams get results. And I think Along with that, we have to recognize that STEM careers create opportunities for people. You know, these tend to be well-compensated career paths in STEM, certainly so in in computing and engineering. And when we open the door to STEM opportunities for people from uh, economically challenged backgrounds or underprivileged or underrepresented demographics, you're creating opportunities for those individuals to elevate themselves and you're elevating communities at large, right? You can raise an entire community. 
by creating STEM opportunities for individuals and their families and the people around them. So I strongly believe that as a society, we have to work harder to create STEM education and STEM career opportunities for people all over this country, including in economically challenged and underrepresented demographics and backgrounds. And I think that that's going to make sure that as STEM professionals, we're putting better results and better products and better capabilities into the world that benefit all of society. And at the same time, we'll also be reducing some of the economic gaps and challenges that still exist in our communities and in the world at large. And you've mentioned so many, right, big challenges already during this podcast, right? We talked about AI earlier. We talked about innovation in the defense sector and acknowledge that innovation is needed kind of throughout the sectors where computer scientists and engineers are working. So I love this point because it's driving home like you need a diversity of perspectives involved in those big challenges and those big innovations in, in order to make them happen. Absolutely. So we talked a lot about different things that you are involved in and your career and kind of the story arc of of how you got to where you are today as a as a CTO at Microsoft. Looking back, when we were talking about that, what would you what would you tell your younger self earlier? <laughs> Looking oh back, yeah. what advice would you give young women who are considering a career in computer science or engineering today? I think first I'd high five them um, <laughs> because I love yes. to see young women looking at this space and thinking about themselves being here. And I think second of all, I would tell them, you belong here and go for it, right? I remember those kind of crisis of confidence that I had very early in my career or when I didn't feel like I I belonged, this is changing and you do belong here. And that seat is yours So step up and take it and be brave, right? You heard my story about how I, for a long time I made myself small or I tried to fit in in a way that perhaps ran against my own authentic self. Be yourself when you step into these careers, own your space, use and trust your voice. And I'll share with you some advice that a mentor gave me many years ago that I think about probably daily at this point, which is always bet on yourself. And what I mean by that is trust yourself, trust that you can figure anything out, even the hard stuff, right? So instead of kind of keeping yourself small and being in positions where you have it all figured out and you're, but you're not really growing, Raise your hand for the hard jobs and the stretch assignments and trust that you're going to be able to figure it out, right? Bet on yourself when those opportunities come about. And then I would say when you're in those roles, it's hard, especially when it's a stretch assignment. So don't aim for perfection. I was a perfectionist for a long time. Now I'm a recovering perfectionist. Nowadays, I am, I am looking more for progress rather than perfection, right? So if I compare myself to the me of yesterday, did I learn something? Am I maybe 1% better today than I was yesterday? And if so, that's progress. And I need to congratulate that for myself for that. And I would say the same thing to everybody else. You know, comparison is the thief of joy if you're comparing yourself to other people. So instead, just compare yourself to the you of yesterday. And my goodness, how far you're going to go. Just compare yourself to the you of yesterday. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, I am I'm going to... Yeah. I'm going to take that through again. Let's check in on it, right? In a couple of months, um, would love to talk about how I've been able to to apply that because that is such fantastic advice. Awesome, yeah. And I'll say too, like 
I, I didn't come up with this myself, right? I, I've had so many mentors and champions who've supported me along the way. And again, this is the beauty of organizations like the Society of Women Engineers, because you can build a community for yourself. And, and when you're having the hard moments or that crisis of confidence, or when you're living in doubt because you have raised your hand for one of those stretch assignments, but it's tough in the early days, you're going to have people around you who will lift you up and support you and also maybe kind of call you on those moments where you're looking around and comparing yourself to others and they can make sure that you're staying on track and you're only comparing yourself to you and they're going to celebrate and encourage you in that journey. And I think that's really beautiful and necessary for all of us. Absolutely. That support, having that support structure around you to lift you up. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So, so let's transition now that we've heard again about all of your career and your impressive accomplishments. I want to talk a little bit about, about fun stuff. So like what we're doing outside of work. Sorry, just to be clear, we're, <laughs> you're a computer scientist. I'm an engineer. Both of our careers are incredibly fun. <laughs> I was going to say, come on now, Alexis. Okay. <laughs> outside of work, uh, you are an outdoor enthusiast, which by the way, is something that you and I share. I'm a big fan of, of camping and outdoors and hiking. How do you find ways to incorporate your love of adventure and nature into your daily routine? Oh, this is such a fun question. And yes, I'm a nature lover. I think I probably always have been. I'm also, I would, I would consider myself an adventurer and a little bit of an adrenaline junkie too. I'll just say that, right? I love to challenge myself. I love to seek new experiences, especially out in the world. And I love to chase this feeling. I'll describe it as, as awe, right? A-W-E. I love to chase this feeling where you look around and you're like, wow, like how amazing is this world we live in? How awesome is this place that I'm in right now? And how did I get so lucky to even be here at this moment in time in this location? Like it, I search for that feeling. I actively seek it out because I think that feeling of awe is good for your soul. And for me, nature helps me find that feeling. I think it also makes me feel small in a really good way and helps my, it helps me reset my perspective, right? We can all get bogged down by the daily grind. Everybody's got challenges and problems in their life and in their career. And sometimes those things feel so big that it can almost overwhelm you. When I get out in nature, it like resets my perspective. And I, it, it reminds me that I'm, I'm not nearly as big as I think I am. And that's a good thing, right? I'm a tiny blip in the cosmos. And my problems at the end of the day are small, relatively speaking. And so that resets my perspective every single time and, and in a really beautiful way. So yeah, for me, I love to get out in nature. I'm a big fan of skiing. I love to paddleboard. I love to travel. I have an emotional relationship with my suitcase <laughs> for real. Um, and I am really intentional about carving out time in my, in my life on a regular basis to do these things that I love because I think they're necessary for my overall wellness. And, and of course that includes the physical fitness, but even more than that, it's good for my mental fitness as well. And I think if you're a, a high achiever, if you, you have that growth mindset ingrained in you, you have to take care of, of your mental fitness in order to keep operating at that high level. So for me, you know, it's about getting out in nature, resetting my perspectives on occasion, and, and I think also maintaining the sense of gratitude for everything that I have in my life and, and also for being here in this very moment. Mm. I love that connection to being present and the connection you made to mental fitness, 
right? We, mm-hmm. we all, as you said, we all need that reset. And that might look a little different, right? For everyone, for you, yeah. it's nature. For others, it might be a spa day. For others, it might be making sure you get your workout in in the morning, right? Whatever that thing is, right? That resets you, make sure you make time for that in, yeah. in all of our busy lives. I mean, self, you're exactly right. Self-care looks different for everybody. And it might even look different for you from day to day, depending on, on what you need in the moment. But you said it beautifully. It's it's being present, being present in your own life. Hold on. And I have to touch on the the emotional relationship with your with your suitcase. <laughs> uh, I will say we have a whole subculture within SWE of folks who are are passionate about efficient packing um, <laughs> and challenge each other on how many days you can pack for in a carry-on. So I feel like there might need to be a, a follow-up on that and, and any advice you have on that front <laughs> in the future. Again, maybe something to tease for the We23 conference. This could be a podcast offshoot because I'm all about that. Um, packing cubes are my jam. I'm I'm a big fan. So yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's great. I'm sure you will get peppered with questions at conference for those who listen to this podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. So since we're talking about conference, I'll, uh, I'll kind of jump over to you are giving our opening keynote talk at We23. And your talk is called The Woman in the Arena, which is a very intriguing title to me. Can you tell us what that means and kind of give us a bit of a sneak peek into what you'll be talking about at the conference? Happy to. And first, let me just say that I am super honored and thrilled to be keynoting, especially the opening day of We23. I shared with you all as we were prepping for this podcast, you know, I've been a SWE member since I was 22 years old. I joined my very first year as a professional engineer. And I have since that time been an attendee. I don't even know how many conferences, but the answer is a lot just because I love this organization so much. So it is such an honor and truly a career highlight for me to step onto that stage and follow all of the leaders that I've admired who have come before us, you know, in the keynote slots. So thank you, Society of Women Engineers, for the opportunity. Can't wait. I can't wait. So to answer your question, Alexis, you know, my talk is called The Woman in the Arena, and I won't share too much, but I'll tell you this. This is about courage. It's about what it means to be the woman who shows up as authentically herself every single day, even in the face of the doubters and the naysayers. And it's about the woman who gets out there and keeps doing her thing, and she is unapologetically herself. And so you're going to hear me in this talk. I'm going to share a a very personal story. I'm going to get a little vulnerable on stage with everybody. I'm going to share a challenging career moment for me that really knocked me sideways for quite a while but from which I ultimately learned a lot about myself and about what it means to be a leader and a change agent and authentically ourselves. So I'm excited to share it with you. And I think more than that, I'm hoping people see themselves in it. And I suspect they will, right? We all have challenges in our lives. We don't share them always with everybody around us, but we all walk through hard things. And so this is a story of bravery, of perseverance, of leadership. And I really think people are going to see themselves reflected in that. And again, thank you for the opportunity. I'm really looking forward to it. I am incredibly excited to hear your talk. That that sneak peek really got me got me thinking. And I am really looking forward to the the moment when we we have the opportunity to open the conference together. Amazing. Can't wait. 
Kate, I think we're out of time for today, but I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. I am really looking forward to your keynote address at WE23 in October. And again, being on stage together as we welcome thousands of computer scientists, engineers, and technologists to Los Angeles together. It was really inspiring to hear how you live without limits every day and all of the amazing best practices and ideas that you shared with our listeners during this podcast. Well, thank you, Alexis. Thank, and thank you to everybody for taking the time to listen in. Just delighted to be here. Still delighted to be a SWE member after all of these years. And I am so looking forward to WE23. So hope to see everybody there. Thank you so much, Kate. And for anyone listening, you can visit we23.swe.org to get all of the details on the WE23 conference the world's largest conference for women in engineering and technology, where you can see Kate's keynote talk in person, network with other women in the engineering industry, and visit our enormous career fair. I hope to see all of you there October 26th through 28th in Los Angeles. From all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders. 